Romans chapter 15, verses 8 through 21, Paul says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never, seen, have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now, we're going to look at this section tonight, and was there a certain word or title that kept coming up over and over and over in that section? Gentiles. And so, if you were with us last time we were together, we skipped over verses 8 through 12, because I knew they were going to be tied to where we're going to be coming, covering tonight as well, all the way into verses 14 through 21. In verse 8, Paul says that Christ Jesus became a servant to the circumcised. Who are the circumcised? The Jews. Very good. Jesus became a servant to the Jews to show God's truthfulness and in order to confirm the promises God made to the patriarchs, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Look again there at verse 8. I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to, one, show God's truthfulness, two, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and three, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. So what we're going to deal with tonight is how in the world is all of that accomplished by Jesus becoming a servant to the Jews, to the circumcised. He did it to show God's truthfulness. He did it to confirm the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And He did it so the Gentiles would be saved. Isn't that an interesting thing? God sent Jesus to the Jews to reach the Gentiles. That's an interesting concept. Now, we'd think he was sent to the Jews to reach the Jews, and he was. But he also was sent to the Jews to reach the Gentiles. So in order to deal with all this tonight, we've got to lay some foundation to be able to more fully comprehend the depth of what Paul's talking about here. Remember, Paul has already laid out that the gospel, God's plan of salvation, has always been for both Jew and Gentile. It's always been that way. But go back to Romans 1 again. Look at verse 16 and 17 kind of remind you of the beginning of our study here in Romans. In Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentiles. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Righteousness and God's righteousness has been revealed to both Jew and Gentile that it's to be received by faith. And God has shown his truth to both Jew and Gentile. Now, when the Bible says, if you remember from our study on this, the Jew first, it doesn't mean that they had, uh, he gave salvation offered to the Jews first, and then he gave it to the Gentiles. That's not what it's saying. Because if you remember, back in the Old Testament, there were believers prior to their becoming a nation of Israel. Y'all heard of Enoch, haven't you? And how Enoch walked with God? Enoch was a Gentile. There was no nation of Israel at that time. And all along, salvation has been for everyone, Jew and Gentile. But God, in His purposes, created a nation to reveal His glory to and to have the Messiah come through and make promises to them. But all along, salvation has been revealed by God from faith for faith, for everyone, Jew and Gentile. But when it says Jew first, it just simply means they receive more light, more revelation, Go to Romans chapter 3. Look again at verses 1 and 2. And then we'll jump over to Romans 9. In Romans 3, verses 1 and 2, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Jump over to chapter 9 of Romans. Look at verses 1 through 5. In Romans 9, verses 1 through 5, Paul says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is, Christ, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So, the Jew first simply means they, were, they received a lot more light and revelation. But it's always been, Jew and Gentile, everyone comes to God through faith. Now, go to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to give you a little quiz. So, pay close attention. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verses 4 through 7. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by what? Faith. Here's your quiz. Abel, Enoch, Noah. Gentiles. They weren't Jews. Now we start seeing the Jews and the Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so on. So God, let this sink into you. When Paul's talking about how Jesus was sent to the circumcised to not just to reveal God's truth, but also to keep the promises, but also to bring glory to himself from, through the Gentiles, 
God has a purpose and a plan at all times, and he gets to do things however he wants. That's why at the end of chapter 11, as Paul has just dealt with the fact that God's not done with the nation of Israel, how he's given them a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and then all Israel that's left is going to be saved. And, and then he says, oh, the depth of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. And he says pretty much it's all about him and his plan. Yet, if we... Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, offer our flesh and our bodies on the altar as a living daily sacrifice. We'll then be able to test and know what his will is and how he wants to use us for his purposes. And keep that in mind. God is accomplishing his purpose and his plan at this time. And he's done it in different ways all through different dispensations in the history of man. Yet salvation has always been by faith, through faith, for faith. Jew or Gentile, Jew first simply means they got more light. But now we're in the age of the church age. We're the ones receiving. Go ahead, Rick. The script has flipped. And now we're the ones whom God wants to use to save who? The Jews. Because he's using, saving the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. So here's what we're going to do. God, in his revealing more of his plan to the Jews, gave the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he gave them promises. But these promises were not only for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's offspring, but for all who would come to God by faith in God's promised one. Go back to Romans chapter 4. Look at verses 9 through 24. I want to remind you of how all what we're looking at here is dealt with in Paul's letter. You could easily teach the book of Romans only using the book of Romans. But there's the whole of Scripture ties together, so I can't help but show you much of the other places as well. In Romans 4, look at verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It wasn't after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. If you go back, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, God counted him as righteousness that was in chapter 15. He doesn't get circumcised till chapter 17. So he was given righteousness before he was circumcised. Now look at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. In other words, the law was, came to show where the sin was. But that's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of, God, of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. 
He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Listen closely. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So again, Paul, as we've already seen back in this study of chapter 4, had laid out that Abraham was given righteousness before he was circumcised. And actually, righteousness is available before the law came. The law just came to show the sin problem. And those words it was counted to him weren't just written for him alone, but for all of us who will put faith in what God has said. And so, folks, I want you to understand this. As Paul's writing now this book of Romans to the church in Rome, what is it mostly made up of, Jews or Gentiles? Gentiles. It's predominantly Gentiles. And so as he's writing to them now, he's starting to get into the fact of, by the way, don't feel secondary. Don't feel lesser. The Old Testament had been saying all along that God wanted the Gentiles to be saved. And we're going to look at some of these scriptures in just a second. But the thing, though, is this. Paul, and we don't have time to get into that tonight, also laid out, though, that he goes, let me show you a mystery, a secret that hadn't been revealed in the past, but now is being revealed to his apostles and the prophets, is that the Gentiles are co-heirs with Israel of all the promises. You see, as you're going to see in just a little bit, the Old Testament said that God was going to save Gentiles all along. But what hadn't been re revealed was the fact that the promises made to Israel are also to the full, fullness of them as to the Gentiles. We're co-heirs, equal. All those things that God promised Israel are ours now. That's why we can look at each other and say that we have been saved. We've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's erased our sin and he's put his spirit within us and he's moving us to follow his decrees. By the way, that's a promise for the nation of Israel in the last days in Ezekiel. God says, I'm going to wash you clean. I'm going to sprinkle you clean water. I'm going to put my spirit within you and cause you to follow my decrees. When he saves the nation of Israel that survives the tribulation period, when all Israel that survives and he who stands firm to the end, Jesus said, will be saved, talking to the nation of Israel. When they're redeemed, he's going to erase their sin, put a spirit within them. Exactly what we already have now. That's why I just say to you as much as I can without trying to take the role of the Holy Spirit. Please don't teach people that Christianity is a set of rules and do's and don'ts. That's not going to make Israel jealous. They've had plenty of that. We have a freedom in Christ. Oh, we're not to use our freedom to gratify our flesh, but we need to also understand that we're not under law. We serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. And too many of us as Christians spend too much time worrying about how good we've been and whether we did right or did wrong. And is God liking me today or not liking me today? And Satan wants you to stay in that mindset, trying to get out of a room you're already out of. So folks, I just want to say to you, God right now is doing something with us for the purposes of Israel. When Jesus fulfilled his role as servant to the circumcised, he was revealing the truth of God's promises to them 
and at the same time revealing God's plan of salvation by faith in God's provision for man's sin for all people. Go to Matthew 15. I want you to start seeing that in Jesus' ministry, even though he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, God was using him in the life of the Gentiles. Go to Matthew 15. Look at verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman, not a Jew, Gentile, Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Isn't that interesting? Here's a Gentile who knows who Jesus is, and the Jews don't. By the way, if she has this kind of an understanding, who's been working in her heart? God. No one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. No one can have understanding unless the Spirit gives them that understanding. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he didn't answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus was sent to the Jews only. But while he's doing his ministry to the Jews, God's using him to save Gentiles. Go ahead. Isn't Tyre and Sidon the same area where Ezekiel was sent a few hundred years prior to this? Um, my guess would be yes. I, I, a lot of scholars believe it was the same area that Ezekiel had been sent to, yes. But I'm not as good probably as you, Warren, as at, at the whole geography part. That's a class I took and passed, but don't remember anything. So if Warren says it, that's almost, I almost believe it. I can't say that you're scripture, but I'm going I'm to give you more credit than me in that area. So, you, so what, then that probably is. Go to Luke, four, Luke, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. I haven't even been to Israel, but Lord willing, I will be there in March of this year for the first time, and I can't wait. Go to Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. 
And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So here we see. Jesus said, you guys are rejecting me, but let me remind you, back when there was a famine in Israel, God sent Elijah to a Gentile town and met her need. Oh, and there were lots of lepers in the time of Naaman, but he healed only Naaman, a Gentile. And just by him even saying that God loved the Gentiles, made the Jews so mad they wanted to take him up on a hill and push him off a cliff. Why? Because they thought that salvation was only for them. Folks, I want to just ask that the Spirit of God be allowed to speak to your hearts as you watch what's going on in this world today and you see what's happening in the glo on the globe and in, in, and in the news, that you don't fall into that pharisaical, well, at least I'm not like them, mindset. Jesus has tarried and is coming back so that all would be saved. He's not willing any to perish, but all come to repentance. And I pray that God would give you a heart that says, Lord, I don't understand why they could live like that. I don't know how they could treat each other like that. But at the same time, you want them to come to know you. You want them to come to know you. And my Bible is full of writings of a man named Paul, who was one of those people going around and killing people. Lord, keep my heart being matched up with your heart. May I not be like the religious Jews who rejected the fact that you loved everybody. This is why Paul then goes on in verses 9 through 12 back in Romans 15. And then again in verse 21 to show that the Old Testament had said that salvation was available all along to the Gentiles through the promised servant, servant to the Jews. Go back to Romans 15. Look at verse 9. He says, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. You want to take notes? That's 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 50. And then again, verse 10. It is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That's Deuteronomy 32, 43. Now some of you, if you go and read that passage, your, your translation might say heavens instead of Gentiles. But Gentiles is a correct translation of that. That's Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. Look at verse 11. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. That's Psalm 117, verse 1. But you could read verses 1 and 2 to get a feel for what's going on there. Verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles hope. That's Isaiah chapter 11, verses 10 through 13. Isaiah 11, verses 10 through 13, and Isaiah 11, 1 tells you who the, the root is. Look again, also at verse 12, the rest of verse 12 is Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Let's go to Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. And I'll just have you look at one of these passages. We didn't have time tonight to go back and look up each of these, but I gave them to you, hopefully, that you'll go spend some time looking at them. But in Isaiah 42, look at verses 1 through 9. Behold, my servant, whom I will uphold, or I uphold, my chosen, 
in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to who? To the nations. By the way, who is the Lord's chosen servant in this passage? It's Jesus. This is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. But he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for who? The Gentiles, the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So here in this prophecy about the coming servant and the Messiah, he's coming to reach the world, to the nations. But I want to go back to a verse we read, and I'm going to ask you a question. Go back here and look at verse 4. He will not grow faint or be discouraged, Till he has established justice in, all, in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Has that happened yet? No. So is Jesus done? No. He's coming back. He's going to come back and fulfill all the promises. All of the things that say are still yet to happen are going to happen. Jesus himself is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. He's going to reign over the whole earth. The nations will all gather to worship him there. It's a literal kingdom that is coming. He has gone to heaven. The angel said this same Jesus has gone into heaven, will come back. In Acts chapter 3, verse 17 in that area, Paul, sorry, Peter is preaching and he says this. He says, Jesus has gone into heaven until the time for, for, for fulfilling all the promises to the prophets. The time for restoring all the things that he said he would. Folks, Jesus is not going to rest until it has been fully accomplished. All that has been said. The first coming was to fulfill those prophecies so that he would come and be the suffering servant. That he would die for the sins of the world. That he would rise from the dead like the prophecy said. But there are many, many, many prophecies, even more prophecies about His second coming, and they're going to be fulfilled. And those of us who have trusted in Him wait eagerly for that day. But it's going to happen. By the way, that'll encourage you. Because it doesn't look like it's gonna, does it? It doesn't look like He's going to rule and reign. It looks like wickedness is increasing. It looks like the love of most is growing cold. Would we not agree? Oh, but the Bible said that right before that time, wickedness will increase and the love of most will grow cold. So everything's kind of right on schedule. But we need to know what the scripture has said. Go to Matthew chapter 12. I'd love to hear something cool. Sheila, go ahead. When you look at the... Um the ten generations from Adam to mm -hmm. Noah, and Jesus says, as in the days of Noah, right. you can kind of look, everything's violent. And when you actually look what the Hebrew, Hebrew names mean in that, 
it's it's really super cool. But Lamech, who was the father of Noah, mm -hmm. Noah means rest. Lamech was despair for all the toiling of the land, and it just made me think when I was re reviewing that earlier this morning. I was just like, as in the days of Noah, there's so much despair out there, and yet um, he brings rest. Yes. So the whole flood, the whole issue of the flood, was to bring rest to Noah with salvation. It was a, it was a judgment on the world, yet at the same time a sparing of the righteous. Without question. By the way, for those that are online that might not have been able to hear what Sheila just said, she was just talking about the fact of as in the days of Noah and how Lamech, which is Noah's father, his name uh, meant rest. and Despair, sorry. And Noah's name meant rest. And uh, there was all this despair right up until the time of Noah. And that's where it's going to be. It's going to get pretty bad. As we already read, he preached through Noah during that time. Go to Matthew 12. Look at verses 14 through 21. Matthew 12, 14 through 21. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against Jesus how to destroy him. Now Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I'll put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. They may take a wild guess where that is quoting from. Isaiah 42, where we just read. By the way, if you want to have some real fun, you go back and read the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, 20 through 27, and how 77s are decreed for the people of Israel in the city of Jerusalem to fulfill all these things, and you realize many of those things haven't been fulfilled yet. That's why there is still one seven-year period left in that prophecy for all of these things to come to fruition, to put an end to sin, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Hadn't happened yet, has it? Oh, it's coming. It's coming. You think it's going to happen in March? James chapter 3, verse 1. Don't all of you seek to be teachers. All right. Paul then goes on to say and to show that he had been given a specific mission. This is where I want to spend the rest of our time tonight. And I want you to listen. This isn't just a Bible study to gain knowledge. I want you to be beginning to let the Lord show you why you're where you are. I'm just going to make a little commercial for where we're going to end up. Some of you might be actually in a situation in your life that you hadn't intended. But God has you there for a reason. Some of you might look back over your life and say, why have I gone through these things? As you're going to see from Scripture, God sometimes puts us through things to prepare us for a ministry that he has for us down the road. We need to have an attitude that says, Lord, this is your plan. This is your season. I, was, I didn't choose to be born at this time, but you determined the time set for me and the exact places that I would live. You're, you, you have a plan, and I want to be in line with your plan. I know what you're hearing, by the way, goes against a lot of the preaching that's out there today. The preaching that's out there today in a lot of churches would say to you, dream big dreams for God, accomplish great things for God, do whatever you want to do, but do it. That is not what the Bible teaches. 
John the Baptist, they came to him and said, don't you realize that guy you baptized, he's gaining more disciples? And John says, look, he must increase, I must decrease. A man can only receive what he's been given from above. We've already seen in Romans 12, 3 through 8. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but each with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that you've been given. Paul himself said, I wanted to go preach to the Jews. I was willing to go to hell if that would save Israel. That was my heart's passion. And God says, I'm going to use you, but I'm going to use you by having you go preach to the Gentiles. Are you willing to let God use you where you are? Or are you more interested in your plans and what you want to accomplish for God instead of the reason he has you here? Satan was given a role, was he not? He was a guardian cherub, but the Bible said he wasn't satisfied with the role he had been given, and he wanted more. I want to ascend to heaven. I want to make myself greater than the Most High. But the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and following, that we should have the same mind in us, which is ours in Christ Jesus, that even though he was God, he didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, and he took the role that the Father had for him, which was a role of a servant and a suffering servant and a servant that would die, but not just die, even death on a cross. So folks, I want to challenge you. I got no problem with God exalting your, increasing your, your tent stakes in the prayer of Jabez. But if you go back and look at the prayer of Jabez, it's God who enlarges the tent, not you. And until you are satisfied where you are, you won't be able to be used by God in whatever it is he wants to do. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Years ago, a preacher came to a seminary chapel while I was in seminary. This is 30 plus years ago, and he made a statement that has stuck with me ever since. He said, if you're too big for the little church, you're too little for the big church. And folks, unfortunately, we live in a day and age in which preaching fuels our flesh of glory and attention and bigger and better and Jesus says, take the low road. Go sit in the lowest seat. If you're to be exalted, let someone else come and move you up. Don't try to go make it yourself. And how many of us have been taught and bought into the whole mindset of the church of marketing and getting our name out there? And I want to just live the role God has for me. And if he enlarges it, it'll be because he did it, not because of me. So Paul goes on to show that he had been given a specific mission or an assignment from Jesus to be an ambassador from God to the Gentiles, a minister to the Gentiles. Go back to Romans 15. Look again at verses 14 through 21. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I'll not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed and by the power of signs and wonders and by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem... And all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ and, Christ. and thus I make it 
my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. By the way, write in your notes there, that's another Old Testament quote from Isaiah 52, verse 15. Actually, it's verses 13 through 15. It'll help you get the full context, but it's verse 15 that he's quoting from. So Paul said, as he's already told us, even though his desire was to go preach to the Jews, he came to realize that God had called him to go to the Gentiles, and he embraced his role. And so now, God was using him to go out into the globe to share the gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus to a people that he didn't used to think were people. Isn't that amazing? Go to Galatians chapter 2. Look at verses 7 through 9. Galatians 2, verse 7 through 9, Paul says this. He says, On the contrary, when they, this is the leadership in the church in Jerusalem, saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, that's Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars and leaders in the church, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Jump over to Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 13. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, to this, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Now there's a couple things I want to pull out from here. One, he says, I'm sitting and writing this from a prison, and I'm in prison for you, Gentiles. I'm going to explain that in a little bit more. But he says, I'm sitting in prison for you. Not because of you, per se, but for you. And then he also says, don't worry about what I'm suffering. Everything's right on schedule. God's using it for his purposes. And I'll explain that in just a second. But I also don't want you to miss something. That Paul said that he had realized that God had called him to go preach to the Gentiles. But that he's also, as he's going out and preaching to the Gentiles, God is using the church to preach to who? According to verse 10. So that now the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may now be made known to who? The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Waiting on for a second. Now this is getting deep. 
We've been talking about how God sent Jesus to preach to the Jews so the Gentiles would get saved and how God's using the Gentiles to make Israel jealous so one day Israel will be saved. But now Paul throws out another curveball and says, oh, by the way, um, God's using the church to display his glory to the angels and the demons. You ever notice that the Bible says in 1 Peter that angels even long to look into this relationship that we've been given? You ever notice we've been created lower than the angels, yet one day we will judge and rule over the angels? Folks, I'm just going to say this quick. I'm not going to go into the detail of it. But what we see and what we taste and what we touch and smell here in this world was created after the stuff we can't see was already created. The Bible says in the book of Job that God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and the angels all celebrated? God is using what he's doing in his plan and his purpose according to his time on this earth for his glory. And it didn't just do your good deeds before men so they'll glorify your father. How many of you realize that right now God has angels watching you? Let me ask you a question. You might be good at hiding who you are in front of man or your wife or your husband. And they may not know the secret life you have. But are you bringing glory to the angels and to God, at least in front of the angels? When you're alone. You're on a bigger stage than you realize. God's using you in a ministry, but he's doing way more. So whenever we say, oh, I, I know what God's doing. Oh, we've just shown our ignorance. He's doing so many things on so many levels. Do you realize the importance of us just being humble and willing enough to just do the little role that he's given us? The more we try to accomplish more for God, the more we get in the way of the fact he says, I don't need another one of those parts. I've already got plenty of those parts. Just be the part I have for you. The mission from God for Paul to preach to the Gentiles is why Paul wants to preach where those others, where others haven't preached yet. This is also why he was willing to suffer beatings and imprisonments, because in going through these trials, he came in contact with many Gentiles who were in positions of power and authority, just like God had planned for him. In other words, he said, I want to be used by God in the ministry that God has for me. And he's told me that I'm to go preach to the Gentiles. But he didn't just say that I was to go preach to Gentiles. He actually specifically said that I was to go before the kings and those in authority in the Gentiles. Well, you don't just go make an appointment. You don't just go knocking on the king's door and say, hey, I'm going to come preach to you. What was the way that God had Paul end up in front of the kings and those in power and authority of the Gentiles? Imprisonment and being tried and arrested and accused of things he didn't do and beaten. Oh, by the way, as we get later on in Romans, he's going to say, I still hope to come see you. But guess what? He ended up in Rome. But he ended up as a prisoner. Go to Acts chapter 9. Look at verses 3 through 16. Now as he, this is Paul, went on his way, he approached 
Damascus. Acts chapter 9, we're starting in verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. By the way, let me just stop there and just say this real quick. Um, was Paul going after Jesus, or was he going after Christians? He was going after Christians, but in doing so, he was going after Jesus. Don't miss that. Don't let that blow by you and have you miss this. <laughs> Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? When you are a child of God, fellow heir, co-heir with Jesus Christ, he considers us no longer his friends. He considers us his brothers. He goes from saying, I no longer call you servants, I now call you friends, to after he rose from the dead, he told them, go tell my brothers. You went from being servant to friends to family. And when somebody goes after Jesus' family, Jesus takes it personally. Oh, let that also be a reminder to us about attacking our brothers and sisters. Years ago when I started this traveling ministry, I knew that God, and I'll get right to you, God had, had called me to go speak to the church especially in America, to get them ready for his return. I, I know the ministry God's called me to. That's why I enjoyed the story I told you before our recording started. And for those that weren't here, I apologize. But I was encouraging brothers in Christ. That's what I've been called to do. Now, I've had the privilege of seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ, but I'm not an evangelist. The call on my life is to go and encourage believers to grow deeper and to, to get back to walking with him by faith and knowing what he's saying and knowing the word. And that's what I'm fired up to do. And I love it. And you've got to find what it is that he's wired you to do and just go do that. And don't worry if no one else is helping you. We should have more people doing what I'm doing. No, don't go down that road. But at the same time, uh, as God called me to do what I'm doing, I love it. But when I first started to go and preach to the church, uh, the church needs a little work. We're a little bit off track. And I used to be pretty hard on the church. You know, I thought it was my role as a prophet. You know, I'm going to point out the sin. One day God got a hold of me and he said, that's my bride. Don't you dare beat up my bride. If she needs some work, I'll get to the specifics. You just preach what I tell you to preach. You say what I tell you to say. Don't step over that line of trying to play the role of the Holy Spirit. I've been a lot more gentle on the bride, as God had to remind me when I went after his church. He said, why are you going after me? This is my deal. Go ahead, Bill, you had your hand up. That's right, you've done it the least of these, you've done it unto me. Exactly, but he's talking there in that passage you're quoting from about the nation of Israel. You parallel that Matthew 25, sheep and the goats, with Joel chapter 3, they very clearly, he's talking about during the tribulation period, how they treated Israel will be. But if you've done it to me, because he loves them. Keep reading, though. All right. Jesus, he said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. But rise, he tells Paul, Saul at this time, rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, 
And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may, might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I, I've heard many, from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Before we get to God's response, I love that. Here's a man that knows the Lord so well, he can hear God speak that specifically. And he's still saying, God, do you know who you're talking about? You, you, do, you, do you know who that guy is? I love that. But the Lord, verse 15, said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. But I thought he was sent to the Gentiles. Yes, but God's going to use him in preaching to the Gentiles to save Israel. Because they're going to get jealous. Paul's ministry of what was in his heart would be fulfilled but not in the way Paul thought. He thought he was going to go synagogue to synagogue and there was going to be this great revival. But when he went synagogue to synagogue trying to accomplish the ministry that he wanted to accomplish, what happened? They'd drag him outside and stone him and leave him for dead. They'd even beat up some of the people that even let him stay with them. <laughs> God said, I didn't send you to go preach to the Jews that way. I'm going to use you to preach to the Jews. What I put on your heart will be accomplished but you need to let me do it the way I want to do it. Are you willing to let God use you for the role that he has for you? Have you ever considered that much of what God has had you go through in your life has been preparing you for the quote-unquote mission that he has for you? Or that the environment that you are in that you might not have chosen could be the exact place of mission that God has for you. You notice when Paul and Silas were in prison, they weren't sitting there praying, Lord, get us out, get us out, get us out, get us out, so we can go do ministry. They said, this is where we are. Maybe before we get out of here, God has a reason for us being here. You understand what I'm saying? That story I told you was just me saying, Lord, I feel like I'm supposed to stick around. And he had me end up on the, one of the busiest days on that golf course in the exact foursome that he had already ordained and set up. Don't be in a hurry to go accomplish for God. Be willing to be satisfied where you are. Some of you might be in the middle of something right now saying, when am I going to get out of this? And God says, when is time? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Just one verse, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17. There's a very interesting passage. I've meditated on this recently for a little bit. Because there's something Paul says here that I'm wrestling with. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, it says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Then he goes on and he says, are you in this situation? Don't be in a hurry to get out of it. But if you're a slave and you want to be free, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but he made this very bold statement. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. 
What's he saying here? What's, what's he trying to, to, what kind of truth is he allowing to take root in our hearts? Don't be in a hurry to get to the next thing. When it's time, you'll get there. He may start getting you uncomfortable where you are. Don't assume that tomorrow you'll be out. As I deal with pastors in ministry and Christians that are trying to go a little bit more deeply in their walk with the Lord, and they start sharing with me some of their frustrations and whatever, there are times that I'll talk to them about what I call a holy dissatisfaction, where all of a sudden we're not comfortable where we are in ministry and we're ready for the next thing. I always caution them and say, don't be in a hurry, though, to go get there. Now, if you've been in disobedience for a while and God's told you to leave, but you're afraid to take the step of faith, that's a different conversation. But if you're starting to get uncomfortable, you need to humble yourself and say, Lord, I'm listening. You've got my attention. What is it you're trying to show me? And let him walk you through it. I can't preach this as exactly what happened, but I think personally, and I'll tell you this, this is Jim talking here, but I think I have the spirit, as Paul said. I think Joseph signed himself up for two more years in the dungeon when he said to the man that he just interpreted the dream that he was going to get his job back in three days. He said, remember me to the king. Here's my business card. And the Bible actually says that two years later, the king has a dream. And the guy that had had the dream interpreted and it came true went, I totally forgot. Would you have totally forgot what had just happened? Where you had that dream and it was literally fulfilled and interpreted by the guy in the prison? You would have remembered. But I think God shut his brain off. Because Joseph was going through a time of shaping, was he not? Was it Joseph's plan to be beaten up by his brothers and put into a well and sold as a slave? No. Was it Joseph's plan to be accused of rape when he hadn't done it and he'd done everything right? No, but God was shaping him and prospering him in each of the places. But God had already told him, already put in his heart years before, that his whole family were going to bow down to him one day. Well, unfortunately, he got a little excited about it and went and told his family right away. And it backfired, did it not? He had to go through shaping. But now he's in the prison... And he says, here's my business card. Years ago, I was speaking at a, a luncheon. And uh, one week, uh, another man came and spoke at that luncheon that I speak at regularly. And he was an evangelist. And he had glossies, picture of him on, on the big eight and a half by 11 glossies of his face and his ministry. And he came and introduced himself to me because the pastor of that church had asked me to be there because he wanted us to meet. And he said, uh, he said, are you having a hard time getting gigs? I said, no. He goes, well, what, what's your marketing strategy? He said, because us traveling guys, we're having a hard time getting gigs right now. And I was like, uh, I, I don't have any problem with that. God makes my appointments. He goes, you don't, you don't market? No, I don't call churches and say I'll be in your area or anything like that. I believe God's called me to this and what he wants me to do, I'll do. He goes, I tell you what, here's what we'll do. He said, you give me some of your business cards because you're called to go to churches and help church Christians. I'm called to go preach to the lost. When I go to a church that could use what you do, I'll give them your card. And when you go to a church that could use what I do, you give them my glossy. And I had to pray 
for God's wisdom and how to answer it. And I said, I don't think that would work because you have a different type of mindset and ministry plan than I do. I literally just want to let God open my doors and him set, set them up. I don't think he wants my help. You are out there beating the bushes. We wouldn't partner together real well. Now, let's take it to your level. Some of you are in a change of life. It wasn't what you planned. But everything's right on schedule. And God has you where he has you for a reason and a season. And he might be using you to reach people you don't even know. No, no, I know what my ministry is. Be careful. Paul thought he knew what his was. But the more he walked with God, the more he started to realize it wasn't just the Gentiles. It was the angels. Go ahead. Are you familiar with a book called The Red Sea Rules? No, I've never heard of the book The Red Sea Rules. You're facing the Red Sea. One of the rules is remember that God has you where you are because that's where he wants you to be. I love it. When you're facing the Red Sea, remember that God has you where you are because that's where he wants you to be. By the way, when Paul and Silas were in that prison, you know how I can prove to you that they weren't praying, Lord, get us out of here? The doors flew out, flew off, the chains fell off, and they didn't move. Oh, if they had been praying, get me out of here, get me out of here, get me out of here, and then the doors flew open and the chains fell off, they would have said, God answered our prayer, and they, but they didn't move. And God had them in that prison for the jailer and his family to get saved. Don't assume that the trial you're in is that you're there because you took a wrong turn. Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we'll close with this. Jesus, God, Jesus is God, through Moses, said this to the nation of Israel, verses 1 through 5. He said, remember how the Lord your God has led you all these years in the wilderness. He did it to humble you and to test you, to see what was in your heart, whether or not you keep his commandments. And he did it also to teach you that man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Oh, and by the way, verse 4, uh, your clothes never wore out. Your foot's never swelled all these years. I've been there taking care of you. Know in your heart that as a man disciplines his children, your heavenly Father disciplines you. I'm excited to see what God wants to do in the days that we have in 2023. Let him show you what he has in mind. I love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.